Yes, folks, it's Thursday, 4 p.m. Central Time, so this means you're listening to Ray Pillar and Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and it looks like uh, uh, I just got a message from my uh, daughter-in-law that uh, they are on the way to the hospital to have a baby, so I might have to just leave the show real early. I don't know yet. I have to see if I get a message. So just thought I'd warn everybody. But other than that, it's sunny here in Aurora, Illinois. How are you guys doing? Well, I got a question for you, Ray. Should we just call your uh, daughter and have her be on the broadcast with us while she delivers? Well, that would be really interesting. I'm sure you heard a lot of noise then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you the weather is the type of weather you hate. It's sunny, blue skies, low 70s, the ocean's beautiful, I've been outside, it's just, just a wonderful day in California time. So, oh, good, good. Some actual news, um, congratulations to Mahana Polk for selling Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties to a new South Florida master franchisee. Um, Franchisors that our friend Nick Neonakis uh, uh, ah. deals with. So that was news as of from Nick yesterday. So I said I'd announce it on the show. We hope to have the CEO of Mahana uh, poke on. That's so interesting. What's our topic for today? Something. The topic. Is um, <laughs> how to find the right franchise. So who's our guest? Who's our first guest? Janice Charles, a franchise veteran who was raised in the McDonald's. She's very cool. She's actually part of history, if you don't know. So we're gonna have to find out. How you doing, Janice? I am fantastic. How are you? We're all good, I think, except for Ray's a bit anxious right now. But back I'm sure. <laughs> so, Janice, you were raised in the McDonald's franchise. And when we talked earlier this week, I learned something incredibly fascinating about you. That you're going to give us our American food lesson, just like Nick gave us our Greek food lesson. So, what is your relationship to McDonald's Happy Meal? Well, um, my dad and mom were at one of their restaurants in Boulder, Colorado, and realized that they weren't delivering on what their advertising was promising. So they thought that it would be good for kids to have something to do instead of running around the tables looking and bugging mom and dad. So they thought about that, uh, and then they worked with Dale Pond uh, from the advertising business, and my dad... And Dale Pond put this together for the Happy Meal, and that's how it was invented. That is really cool. You know, it's a bit of history like that that, you know, it's kind of cool to learn. It's a fun so story. Do you have a yeah. favorite Happy Meal toy? Do I have a favorite Happy Meal? I think probably the Beanie Babies were my favorite, and I actually have a set of the original Beanie Babies. That we're That's in the worth, happy what, about too. 8 million now? 
<laughs> I checked online on eBay about a year ago, and I think I could probably get about eight dollars. <laughs> oh wow! Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I guess I remember that phrase. Ooh, they're going to be worth money. They're going to be money. Well, you just proved that one wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Someday they may. I uh, I kind of grew up in the. My dad was a, a restaurateur and tavern owner, and uh, I kind of grew up in a tavern, so I knew what I was doing. So, did you have to work in the in the restaurant at all, Janice? I did when I started. Uh, probably when I was about twelve is when they put me mm. in the store on Bayside Road in Boulder and had me work with the hostess to clean tables and help customers and. After I did that, my dad put me on, propped me up on a milk crate right next to the drink machine and showed me where the lids, the ice, and the cups were and told me to keep going until he said stop. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> and uh, I worked every holiday possible um, mm. and worked yep, my way up yep. in management as well as all of their oh, sales wow. training. Um, until I graduated from college, and I think I graduated from Colorado State on a Friday. And on Monday, my dad said, oh, by the way, you're in the store in Arvada. (laughs) (laughs) So I went straight to work. (laughs) So that that wasn't like McDonald's University, was it? I mean, I've I've been past McDonald's University in Oak Brook, Illinois, so that wasn't where you went to college, right? Correct. I went to Colorado State. Um, but with the McDonald's classes, they had the initial management classes at the regional office in Denver, and I attended those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the marketing, the marketing training, and the sales training, I went to Oak Brook, where they host Hamburg University, where they taught us how to, you know, market the stores, estimate what the volume of a store would do, literally within a couple hundred dollars, and. Um, did all of that training there, but I did not go to Hamburger University. I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah. I was hoping to get insight on how to make a bigger, better <laughs> I still can't yeah, hear I'm sorry. Past, I'm past the Hamburger you. Fred said he he was hoping to get some insight on how to make a better hamburger. Aha. Uh-huh. And, and, well, and Fred is, is is right after the show is going to go to the store and buy a better microphone. <laughs> I hope. There you go. Well, you know, when you look at the quality of McDonald's, there's really, really nobody that brings in better quality in through the back door. And uh, I think it, McDonald's has kind of been the whipping boy for the public in trying to say that it's beneath them and the product isn't quality isn't good where it's absolutely you know actually just the opposite. So um, no, I it's an amazing that. product. Uh, amazing one of the product. Thing, uh, uh, well, McDonald's was at the forefront of uh, franchising, and I, I believe, and one mm-hmm. of the things that made made them so popular. Was consistency across the nation, and right. uh, I, I was you know, I was talking to somebody I can't re- remember who, but back in the day when you traveled down Route 66, well, you got your mom and pop restaurants and the food was good, but not mm-hmm. consistent. So you didn't know what you were going to get from one town to the next. But with you know, starting with McDonald's and, and a few of the other franchises that started back at that time, 
the consistency was was the thing. So Janice, I was wondering right. if you could ask answer this question: What is the best way to find a franchise? So if someone thinks, hey, you know, I'm thinking about franchising or getting into business some way or another. What's the best way to do that? In my opinion, um, I think the best way is to work with a franchise consultant. Um, there's really over 3,000 franchises available in the U.S., and it's really hard to know where to start. Uh, so working with a franchise consultant can really help narrow your choices down very quickly. Um, they'll really take the time to get to know their clients by really understanding who they are, what kind of lifestyle they're looking for, and what type of return that they're looking for. So they really, for example, with the franchise consulting company, the group that I work with, we really get to know our folks up front. So we're not just throwing darts against a wall. Because um, I think a lot of times when you look online, there's so many options and you really don't know where to start. So that's where we can really, we have the tools where we can really dig in to help you um, and we can help people find what they're looking for. Um, we also have a ton of resources to make the process as easy as possible by providing really an in-depth financial analysis resource. Uh, we have franchise legal resources, um, business plan and performa templates, I mean, whatever people need. Um, and really, if, it is, if there's a resource that our clients need, we'll find it. And many times we stay with them for the duration of their business and beyond because we really get to know them and want them to succeed. So that's what I would recommend. So you have a unique background in, in uh, franchising. Uh, I was wondering if you can elaborate, elaborate a little bit on that for us, besides McDonald's. Well, <laughs> well I had the opportunity to grow up in a McDonald's family for 35-some years. Um, I've also had the opportunity of working in the advertising agency business and seeing how to drive sales. Uh, then I also had my own business but that was not a franchise and then I became a Baskin Robbins franchisee um, and then after that I worked for multiple franchisors so I really had the unique opportunity to see franchising from about every angle possible um, so it's really allowed me to have a, a good grasp on a lot of the franchises that are out there and how the different components all fit together so, so with your uh, background in advertising, uh, how important would you say that is to uh, a franchise or a franchisee? Well, I think it's crucial. Um, those that, especially retail locations, that know how to become involved in the community through local store marketing, uh, as well as in the digital age doing everything online they possibly can will clearly succeed and come out of the gate stronger. Um, when looking at franchises, um, some franchisors will say, you know, this is what our ad fund contribution is, whether it's anywhere from a half a percent up to 3%. And in my opinion, based on how I've seen different franchisors work, the higher that ad fund contribution is, the better. Because um, really with anything up to about 2%, there's not a lot that a, a franchisor can really do with that money. And it's very limited. So even though it's a percent or two, it's definitely worth it to get your name out in the community as well as online. 
Yeah, it's definitely important. And uh, like when I started my franchise, uh, the the main thing that we had to do was get it into the phone book. Uh, And that was about Uh 15 years ago. Uh, Yeah. You know, uh, I know that's changed. So what are you recommending now that uh, uh, what direction that uh, people should spend their money in as far as advertising and marketing is concerned? Well, I think it really depends upon the franchise, and it also depends upon the community that they live in. Um, with all of the different franchises that are available today, um, a lot of the franchisors are helping with lead generation and also helping to build that brand. Um, and in that scenario, I think you would do one thing. And in another scenario um, where you don't have that support, um, we, I work with my clients on a 12-week-out program. It's a boot camp program for local store marketing. So they are building themselves in the community before that store opens. Um, Tom Feltenstein uh, used to work with McDonald's, and he owns neighborhood marketing out of Florida, probably one of the best marketers I've ever worked with. And he really knows how to market in the community, and I've learned from him um, to make sure that you are completely entrenched in every possible way you can in that community. And um, that's why I have that program to help people do that. I think that it's very important to be uh, a part of the community you live in. But one Mm -hmm. of the things uh, I I wanted to ask you, and I'm sorry about the dogs barking, (laughs) but uh, one of the best things, one of the things I wanted to ask you today, and you said there was like 3,000 franchises available. So of those Mm -hmm. 3,000, what do you think uh, would be some of the best franchises that are available today? It's a great question. I think it's one that we're asked almost every day. <laughs> but I really think that it depends upon what's best for the individual, um, whether it's home-based, whether it's retail, whether it's service-based, um, or whether it's B2B. I mean, what, what is best for one person may not be best for another so it really depends upon what you're looking for. And I, know, I don't mean to be evasive, but there's really no perfect answer for that unless you really dig in to understand who that person is and what they're trying to accomplish. And then it's our goal to make sure that we do find the best franchise, franchise available for them. So how do you go about helping somebody to figure this out? Well, what we do is we work, we work with them through a client questionnaire initially to really do a baseline survey of their thinking uh, as well as their interests. Uh, we also do a Myers-Briggs study, um, and then we also get their resume. And then we take some pretty dedicated time to review that and ask a lot of questions to understand who they are, what motivates them, and what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, that really allows us then with our systems with a franchise consulting company to start at a 30,000-foot level and start narrowing our way down uh, to categorically what's the best fit until we find the right widget. So one of the things we uh, you kind of broached on a little bit was the community you're in. Um, Mm-hmm. I know when I was looking for our franchise, we were looking for someone that had a benevolent association that was part of the franchise. 
Are there many of mm-hmm. those out there that uh, automatically or as part of their their ethos give back to the uh, community? Are there uh, franchises out there that, that do that as, as part of who they are? There really are. I mean, a prime example is McDonald's with the Ronald McDonald House and the Ronald McDonald House Children's Charities. Um, but as you look through the franchises, I would say those that understand the impact that they can have in that community that's feeding their business understand the importance to do that. And it's a question if that's something that's important to clients to have that kind of opportunity and community involvement, that's where we have them ask that in the due diligence portion of looking at the different franchises. Um, We're finding that millennials today are focused on that even more And it's really important to them to be involved in the community and give back to the community. And the franchisors that don't do that, um, I think, run the potential of getting left behind. Yeah, Ray, you're right. I heard your voice catch. Um, We'll be taking a quick break for our nation identification and our first ad sponsor. We want to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. People can call in and ask questions at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Also, for the second week in a row, we have live chat up and running on the website, PillarsOfFranchising.com, so you can come in and uh, ask your questions there, listen to the show. And now, our first sponsor. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And we're back. And um, as Nick said, you can get a copy of the bestselling book. I'm assuming, Janice, you've read the book and probably can cite it chapter right? Yes, we definitely have it available. Um, people can go onto my website at yourfranchisesource.com, um, and when they go to yourfranchisesource.com on that homepage, you'll see the franchise consulting company, and people are able to request a free book. Um, I will be happy to send that out to them. I'll give them a call first just to say hello, get their address, and then uh, kind of see what they're looking for, and we'll get that book right out to them. So we're sure happy to do that. So what's your favorite chapter in the book? You know, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I can really, that I really have a favorite. It, just, it all flows together so well. And it's initially where it talks about the four stones and crossing a river, which is the way that we take a look at the business initially to make sure we have a solid foundation for each client. So that's, if you go to cross a river, 
you want to make sure that that first step is really solid before you venture out on the second and the third step. And that's where we as an organization with a franchise consulting company can really dig in to that individual's background and who they are and help them to find the best solution possible and the best franchise possible avail- that's available for them in their area. I have to keep that What do you think, Ray? You want to read it? I, I do. I'm, sorry, I'm I do. having a hard time hearing you. Ray and I both want to read the book. Nick's got a Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'll probably, I, I think I, I'm, I should be able to download a, a digital copy of that, right? You sure can. It's the number one seller on Amazon um, okay. about franchising. And it's, a, it's an amazing book, but you can download it for free on a Kindle. So you, people okay. definitely can do that. And the name of the book again, just so uh, our uh, audience can write it down? The Franchise MBA. And that's written by Nick Neonakis. That's the Franchise MBA, written by Nick Neonakis. All right. So, Fred, are you ready to introduce our, our next guest? I'll let you do that. Well, then uh, we have Stephen Winterroad on, on, the, on the line. Is that right, Stephen? You do, sir. All right. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background in franchise? Yeah. Can you hear, can, can you guys hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. All right. Great. Well, my um, background in franchising is not as storied and uh, iconic as Janice's, but uh, I don't know who else is that I know would be other than uh, some gentlemen that I've met who were in McDonald's uh, back in the sixties and actually friends with Ray Kroc. But uh, that was a great, I actually hadn't, didn't know that about Janice as much as this. So that was an option to hear too. Janice and I are colleagues at the uh, franchise consulting company. Um, my background started, uh, you know, I went, I went to grad school in Oklahoma and I was going to do the whole route of, banking and, you know, getting the job and kind of the rich dad, poor dad conversation of following the, the getting the education and getting the job and working for someone for 20 years and then blowing the candles out scenario. But in a turn of events, my dad was forced to take early retirement while I was in grad school. He was a geophysicist for Conoco for 20 seven years and didn't control that conversation, didn't have the ability to uh, say no, and they forced him to take early retirement. And that flipped my whole thinking that last year of my grad school, and um, I wanted to go to a scenario where I had equity and could, could get into it. But I still hadn't been exposed to franchising at all at that time, other than the thought that McDonald's was the only thing that was out there or, or uh, the pizza franchises and they were a million dollars to get started. So I, um, I wanted to get into finance. I've got in with a startup financial firm in Dallas. And then we opened up an office in New York city, uh, in February of 2001. And, um, unfortunately after nine 11, we had to close that. 
And I didn't want to leave New York City, so I feel like I took a step back in my entrepreneur adventure, and I got a job as a pharmaceutical rep. A couple good things that it presented to me was the ability to be self-motivated and be able to get out there on your own because people aren't waking you up in the morning in the pharma world. And it also exposed me to outside sales, which I'd never seen before. So, um, And so that was a good experience, but that whole time I just, even got further and further along of wanting to own my own my own business, and so I in that process I, I I struggled with the idea of maybe starting up your own thing, efforting through the creation of brand and marketing and and not, so that's when I started to really investigate franchise ownership because for me the benefit of franchise ownership is that you you get to leapfrog those those mistakes that early on branding. You get to choose good branding. You get to see what those uh, benefits are and hopefully jump in with a good franchisor that has struggled those those periods of time. And so for me, that's what the franchise fee is. You're buying that leap forward in, in your business. Um, so I worked with a consultant, um, and we strategized for about a year, and I, I landed on a painting franchise so a service-based industry-focused franchise called Serta Pro Painters. And I uh, started that in 2008 uh, in Santa Monica, California. So Ooh, moved, all the way from Brooklyn across the country. moved all the way across the country with a nine-month-old and, uh, and my wife and uh, quit the pharma job. Sold our condo and went all in on the sort of pro franchise in Santa Monica, California. I, I, I always think that the, the the road that people take to uh, owning a franchise is fascinating because it really gives you a lot of insight on on you know how they got there and some some of the pitfalls that they've encountered. And mm-hmm. I, I also note that. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, about you know, McDonald's being, you know, a pretty expensive franchise to start, and but you probably found that there are other franchises. But one one of the things that people do is take on a partner. And uh, what what are some of the things to consider uh, if you, you take on a business partner? Yeah, so that that is how I started my franchise. It it was. Not on purpose, but I had a friend that I knew in New York City. I trusted his opinion. I had him kind of help validate the franchise opportunity with me. He did a ride-along with me with one of the owners. And after that, he said, you know what, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I'd like to explore this with you. So the biggest thing that I think people do in partnerships is they don't treat it in a business fashion. that maybe they're starting it with their best friend from high school or, or, or their brother or their brother-in-law or whatever, and they think that their relationship potentially could be stronger than what potentially may happen. So the biggest thing, in my opinion, is to really work with an attorney to create a proper buy-sell agreement and working um, business working agreement. Mm-hmm. I tell people a business partner is more like a marriage. Uh, it's either going to be very successful or it's going to end very badly. So uh, I think in in most cases, if you can, my personal opinion is, if you can avoid 
taking on a partner, you should. Uh, it just it makes things a little easier. Uh, I'd say there's a, third, there's a third option. There's a third option, in my opinion. If properly planned um, and, and exit strategies are organized and, and de- predetermined, then you can have a situation where one of you leaves maybe by necessity. So in my experience, the, the franchise didn't early on didn't support two incomes that it needed to. And we had laid that out. What would that look like if one of us needed to leave the business? And so mm-hmm. we're still friends today and we're actually, we're actually having a call tomorrow to discuss starting another franchise together. So um, oh, I think, fantastic. you know, if you can, if you can be honest with yourself and honest with that person and try to take emotion out of it, uh, you can't game plan for everything, but if you work with a good business attorney, they'll bring you those scenarios in that you have to have a, uh, a plan laid out for. And at that point in time, you can just refer to the plan and, and mm-hmm. you know, no one, no one's the bad guy or gal for saying this is how this is supposed to work out right now. This is the plan. So it's sort of like a prenup. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I hate to, yeah. <laughs> it is when you think about it because, you know, you're thinking mm-hmm. about well, what's going to happen towards the end of this uh, marriage or, or business partnership, and uh, that's what a prenup does. So uh, and there, and there's a, that makes absolute sense, not necessarily for a prenup, but for a business partnership in that you need to start thinking about, the, the you know, uh, the end uh, of your relationship or the, you know, uh, 10 or 15 years down the road, uh, uh, what, what's going to, what's the business going to look like? So, yeah. uh, one, so one, you know, one example was, oh. go ahead. No, go ahead, Stephen. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Cite your example. Well, one example was is when we came into the business together, he was single. I was married with uh, a child. I didn't want to have our business relationship. I don't know. I didn't know who he potentially might marry down the road. Uh, it could be the greatest person. It could be the, the worst person. But I, we didn't want, and part of our conversation was, is the business is completely separate. I'm never going to be married to the person that you married to. And he, even though he liked my wife, he didn't want, if something happened to me, where he would ever have to be in business with her. So, we organized that and, and what did that, you know, what were the rules around that scenario? And then one, one thing people do forget about is, is what they call funding your partnership scenarios. And typically that's done with some life insurance policies on the, uh, on the key employees um, and or uh, overhead disability insurance policies. So there's some different business policies that are out there that people should explore as well, especially if you're doing a Mm -hmm. partnership. Is there a way to jumpstart this? Jumpstart lending? Say that again? Is there a way to jumpstart lending? What do you mean? I'm just curious um, because in your your LinkedIn profile, it says you're the owner of jumpstart lending. So, Correct. I, yeah, I help people. I help people, small businesses, also access capital. Um, when I was a franchisee, one of the, one of the struggles was is in that two-year period, 
you know, you're, when you're trying to get the business up and running, your access to additional capital is is constrained. Um, mm. So, a couple of things I recommend franchise clients to do is access as much capital as you possibly can at the beginning. Um, you may end up paying a little bit up front, but it's an insurance policy. And Janice may be able to concur on this as well, but most of the times when people fail, it's because they're capitalized. They get into that struggling zone of not being able to put enough in the marketing. They're a year in. They didn't prepare for the next year's marketing budget at the beginning of the, of the whole process, and they don't have money to now go out and do that that initial marketing campaign. It may be a little bit mm. less now with the, with the digital age, but back in CertiPro in 2008, they're big, they were still focused very heavily on direct mail and, and launching that in January, uh, February, and March. So each year you needed to kind of have a kitty of money to pay for that upfront marketing. Mm. Yeah. Well, especially during that, uh, I know somebody did tell me one time uh, during the downturn in 2008, 2009, is uh, you, if you need to cut anything, cut it, but don't cut your uh, marketing and advertising because uh, uh, basically when the economy does recover, you'll be in the catbird seat with, uh, uh, with that in mind. So in talking to someone, go ahead. I think that was one of the reasons why it was actually good for us to start our business at that time period, because we came in with capital. We were marketing when others were cutting. And so we were able to grab market share that way. Uh, We weren't in the, oh, crud, we're coming off of, you know, our best year. And now our, our revenues are down 20%. We were coming from zero with nowhere to go but up. Yeah, absolutely. So here again, you know, talking to people, somebody once told me, isn't buying a franchise just like buying a job? You know, and what what do you say to someone like that? I kind of have a direct answer to that one, and it's like, so what? How many, how many, uh, how many people on the phone today, or I mean, on the, on the call today, uh, went to went to college to get a job, mm-hmm. went to grad school to get a job? Did you not just spend your money to do that? And and the other thing I say is, is at least you can sell this job. At least you can well, that's replace a, yourself. That's a good in this point. Job. That's a that's- yeah, you can't sell that cheap you can you? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't sell that that corner desk in the upper uh, on the upper east side when you're on the 42nd floor, um, <laughs> and and you could potentially you know grow the business enough to where you replace yourself, but you don't lose your revenue stream, right? Maybe you just mm-hmm. replace your your sales income that you had of like I had my sort of pro. I, uh, I paid myself to do all the selling and all the estimating and stuff, and I could have brought on a salesperson um, who would have taken over maybe residential sales, and I just would have focused on commercial sales. But I would have been able to continue to have the owner benefit 
as well. And so when people own their own job, they get to pay all their expenses first and then their taxes. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you just have a job, you pay all your taxes first, then your expenses. So even if it was oh. a job, you'd be better off, you'd be better off than you were, uh, you know, working for somebody else. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like, I liked what he said that, you know, if you own a business, you pay your expenses first and then your taxes and then, and then it reverses itself. If you have a job, I really like that. That's really cool. Mm. Go ahead. I mean, that's what we call that owner benefit. I mean, you, you know, you shouldn't be egregious on it and you should be smart about it, but there are simple things, your cell phone, your vehicle, mm-hmm. the gaps in the vehicle, um, your internet, your internet connection at, at home. Now that's required for work. Um, you know, uh, taking taking a potential client out to dinner. It's you know, you get you get some of these benefits that you don't get as an employee. So that's that's true. That. I mean, uh, talking to my uh, tax accountant the other day, I said I made the comment. It says, "What part of my day do you think I'm not thinking about my business?" You know, and that and that's the part that I can't, you know, and it, it's it's virtually you know 24 hours a day. Everything I do, everything I, I I say, is pretty much involved in the business. Um, you know, so it's it's you know it's interesting. I never even thought about it until recently, to tell you the truth. But uh, it's a and it, and it's not something. I don't mean that it's a job in that sense. I mean. It, it is something I really enjoy doing, and it's uh, uh, and I think that's important if you own a business to enjoy what you're doing and and not be a job in in, in the classic sense. Yeah, and so, like, so I think what a lot of people say is I'm a designer job. I think what we ultimately are, are saying is it, it feel like they do that when they own their franchise they bought the wrong one. And so what it comes back to what Janice was talking about was working with someone who can, who can identify maybe this will be your job, maybe you will be full-time. This is matches up to you and your personality and your value system and your and the structure that you want, your, your control of your calendar. Um, and so that's where I think when people really complain about if they got into a franchise and they're, they're having to show up and, and, and make Subway sandwiches all day. The issue is they got into the wrong one more than, mm-hmm. than they, than they bought it. Then they bought a job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably true. Uh, and it's probably not because some of the people who buy a franchise don't think about the end in mind. They don't have the end in mind. And the end, in my mind, uh, it was basically doing what I'm doing now, and, and that's everything. What I do now is everything I like to do in the business, and every everything else is is handled by uh, the employees. You know, so I'm having a fun time. And with like that, doing note, this radio show. <laughs> exactly. With that, with that note, Fred is going to break break for a commercial, right? Thank you, sir. Remember, and we've had a. No one wants to ask questions, but, man, we've had a whole lot of callers into the show today, so we thank you, all you that callers who are calling in. You can ask questions. Uh, you can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Uh, 
323-580-575. And now, a word from the Promo Sharecast Network, which also pushes the pillars of franchising out to even farther reaches of the cyberspace. Promosharecast.com always been a leader, and I've always been pretty creative. It all starts with, with character. Speaker of podcasting. Success is a result of steady. The roller coaster just took a deep dive. Yeah. It's a genius idea, right? <laughs> Health, wealth, and spirituality. Jamie's not so good. Great, great. I'm Antonio Holman, and if you want to be more successful, check out my podcast, The Four Principles of Success, at the4pos.com, part of the Success Media Network. So, Fred, did anybody ask any questions? Did we? No, no questions. Everyone's, everyone's just happy to listen on the show, which is, they, they must be liking your voice, my friend. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Somebody but, does. You know, <laughs> Asticist, I don't know. But, but they're listening, and that's all that we care about, right? As long as they're listening and having a good time learning about the secrets of success in franchise. Hey, Ray. Well, Fred, um, you know, with no questions out there, if anyone's listening, I mean, it's the process can be a lot of people get scared to engage a consultant because they think they're going to get sold. They think that they're buying something right away. And I think the benefit with working with someone from the franchise consulting company is none of us paid to be part of the franchise consulting company. All of us have either owned a franchise, worked on the franchisor side, and have experience in this this process. So we all know that this isn't something that someone's going to just be able to take back to with the receipt and get their money back. So we all really invest a lot of time in making sure that they, they make a good choice in this process. And the thing I tell some clients, too, is one of the outcomes may be that you just find out this isn't right for you, and that's an okay outcome because at least you don't have regret. At least you're not sitting in your office wondering, should I have ever done, should I have ever explored franchise ownership, it's 10 years later when I first thought about it, and, man, my buddy down the, down the block 10 years ago it did it, and I wish I would have tried it. Um, regret can be one of the most detrimental things to the human soul, in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. especially when you, when, I, you, when you think about it, you, that you didn't try something. I agree with that. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Absolutely. So... I, I, I think uh, one of the things I'd like to ask, maybe both Janice and Steve, and either one of you or both of you can answer this question. What's the best thing that you can tell a prospective franchisee to ease their mind? In other words, it's, 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 it's more than and usually your, your biggest expenses uh, in your life is buying a house, but this is probably going to be something more than that because it's going to be maybe equal or, or be more money and probably take in the beginning a substantial amount of your time. So what can you do to ease the mind of a prospective uh, uh, 
franchisee. Well, one of the things that I might recommend is that they take their time. Um, we really want to make sure that any decision that they make, they do with their eyes wide open and they ask every possible question they can to make the decision that they want to make. Um, you know, in this day and age, franchisors are evaluating prospective franchisees at the same time, you know, and vice versa. So it's not just because you have, a, have money in your checking account, you can buy something. It, you have to see a good fit, and franchisors are starting to see the impact of franchisees that are not a good fit, just like Stephen said. So you want to take your time, work with your franchise consultant so we can help you with some questions on what to ask, and look at a lot of different options, because when you look at one option, you may have no interest in it whatsoever. However, you can find something that you wouldn't have thought to ask unless you'd seen that other franchise. So go in with an open mind, take your time, and ask a lot of questions. And one of, one of the things, and I think Stephen will agree with this, is to be adequately capitalized. That's very important. You don't want to invest everything you have only to get a, you know, a year or two down the road and find out you're running out of money and you have so, an opportunity to really improve the business. I have a follow-up right. question for Janice and Stephen. You mentioned to take, the, take, your, take a, a decent amount of time to make a decision to go through the process. On average, what have you seen, what's the average amount of time it takes to make a successful decision? Is it three months, six months, nine months, a year, 18 months? Well, it's another one of those answers that it depends. Um, we work at the pace that is set by the people that we work with. So they drive the pace. Um, I've seen things close in as little as 30 days, and I've seen some people take a couple of years to make a decision. But on an average, I'm going to say you're probably anywhere from three to six months. Okay, so I've, I mean, the, the, the fastest I've, I've had a client go is two months, but they were in a mindset that they had already thought about this. They had already uh, decided to take an early uh, uh, package, a layoff package from their employer, ready to move. Uh, they were from a family of entrepreneurs, business owners. So she was just ready to go, and it was just now understanding what she wanted to do, what was her time commitment, what was her investment level, and uh, comfortable investment level, and, and partnering up stuff. But then I've also worked with someone for a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So a rule. And the other rule thing to put them at. I was going to also comment on putting them in that ease. Putting them at ease is is simply that they're in control as well. I mean, they're in control. Um, There's no money that changes hand until they make a decision to say yes, even if they go to the very last step of the discovery day process and visit the franchisor and they fly there. They can always say no. And, And I think one of the problems is they feel like they hurt people's feelings and in this industry, if you if you get your feelings hurt when you're trying to sell franchises or partner people up with the right franchise, you're in the wrong business. So 
um, don't feel like you're hurting someone's feelings because you ultimately got to the end and you didn't like it. Um, so you're in control in that regard until you actually, you know, send money in. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about if you if you if you your feelings hurt easily, you shouldn't be in this business. You know? Too often, I find most business folks are afraid of hurting somebody's feelings and won't tell them the truth, so somebody can't make an informed decision. So I like what you said, there. Ray. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I I was just thinking. I was trying to remember when I after after I signed my paperwork, uh, Molly made. I thought they had a buyer's remorse period, but I can't remember for certain. Do companies have that? I think it was 30 days. In other words, after I handed them a check, signed all the paperwork, they said, you know, if you think this is not for you, come back within 30 days and your money is refunded. I think that's franchise specific. Um, oh, okay. And it depends upon, yeah, it's in there. It's, it, there's nothing that's, it's not like real estate or like when you buy a um, a timeshare where you have a rescission period or anything like that uh, based upon this case. Am I right, Janice? Are you, mm-hmm. Do you concur? Do you concur, Doctor? I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I, I think that there are a couple that are out there now that guarantee that you will do well or they will buy part of the business back from you. So, so okay. there are a couple of those that are out there, but on a whole, once you're in, you're in. And you make the best of it, and you put your head down and go as hard and as fast as you can. Yep. Doctor yep. You, you've got to have total, total commitment in order to be successful. Go ahead, Fred. I was going to say, wow, Stephen calling you doctor, it made me think of you as Dr. Happy Meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in big trouble now. <laughs> wow. Dr. Happy Meal. I like that. I thought Franchise Veteran was good, but Dr. Happy Meal, that's even better. So That would be my dad, not me. That's my dad and Dale (laughs) Pumas. Dr. Happy Meal the second? (laughs) Dr. Happy Meal Jr., how about that? Okay. Uh, You know, I I can't take any credit for that whatsoever, so we'll leave that on my dad's end. Janice is in Denver, and Stevens about four hours south of me in California. So I want to see uh, if you if there are regional variations to the big trends in franchising for your um, for your geographic area. So we'll go into that after we get back from this last station identificators. Uh, sorry, commercial break. <laughs> hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 805 265 5440 or go to mediavinemarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. Mediavine Marketing. We know franchises and we want to help yours grow. 
and we're back. So, Janice, what's the big, what's the top one or two or three franchise trends in Colorado or Denver? Could you repeat that, please? I said, I'm having a hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. Sorry. What are the big trends that you see in franchising in the Colorado area? What are the, the big franchises in Colorado? Big trends in franchising in uh, oh, Colorado. Oh, big trends. Okay. Trends. You know, that, that's a good question. Um, why don't you ask Stephen a question and let me come back to that. <laughs> Stephen, Thanks, Janet. It's up to you. <laughs> okay. You know, when we were taught, when I asked the question a little while ago about what can we do to set the uh, a prospective uh, franchise uh, e, uh, mind at ease. I know when I told, started telling friends, first of all, I took 18 months to study what I was going to do and before I, I, I put my money down. But when I was telling people what I, what I was thinking about or contemplating doing, they'd look me straight in the eye, all my friends and relatives and, and, and and with all sincerity say, are you nuts? <laughs> so mm-hmm. there isn't, you know, uh, your friends and relatives are not the people to bounce off of uh, ideas about, you know, going business. So that that's one of the reasons I asked the question. I didn't really have that much support from friends and relatives about what I, I had contemplated doing. But, Ray? You know, and I think so that, my, that's a great question. First, and I, I think... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say my first CEO that I worked for in the financial services when he was talking about that is it, it's like the bucket of crabs. Whenever you, if you've ever been to a crab boil and you've seen the live buckets and a, a live live crab in a bucket, uh, there's one trying to crawl their way out and the other ones keep pulling them down, and they keep pulling <laughs> them. The one is almost to get out to the top, pulling them down. So. That is some advice I give to people when they start to share this. They are going to get naysayers. They are going to get people who, who have never had the gumption to go check this out. Or maybe they're dealing with the regret that they never did it. So, take everyone's opinion with a with a big grain of salt. Trust your gut. Go with your your desire, your goal plan for your life, and and let that chatter. Um, in the bucket, kind of pull you down, not happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Janet, Fred, you, you were going to say, say something? something. Well, I was going to say, Ray, don't don't your friends and family still ask you? Aren't are you nuts? <laughs> well, they've just confirmed it now. That's all. Okay, that's Janet. To you now that we got. Standard yeah, it's a matter of fact that people know that I'm nuts, so it's it's like I know that. <laughs> it helps. But I think that, you know, from a trend and franchise perspective, you know, what I had mentioned, touched on earlier was the assistance of the franchisors. They realize that people have less and less time to operate that franchise, and they realize that if they want to have more franchisees, they have to do more to help them. So a lot of them will help now with lead generation. They will provide, you know, additional marketing assistance. They they will do the training for you at any time. So there's a lot of franchisors that really understand that and really get that, 
and those are the ones that, that you want to take a hard look at. That's excellent advice. I know my franchise right now is, you know, compared to when I started and what they're doing now to help a, fran- a new franchisee, it's, it's, it's really outstanding amount of help. And you can see the difference in, in the amount of time it takes them to get off the ground. Yeah, and, and on that point too, Janice, um, you're, they are also doing that because they're finding that people are wanting to look at this as a, as an alter, not, not as an alternative to their job, but as an add-on. It's something that they can manage while they still have a have their career uh, or the job that they have, and then the franchisors they can lean on them a little bit more to get this up and running as a semi-absentee business hiring the proper people, letting the franchisor help you find those proper people and, and really uh, letting it build over time. So then you can make that choice of leaving your job if you want to. Done silence from Ray. Wow. You got Congratulations. (laughs) I'm contemplating what he said. But, but, you know, that's good advice for prospective uh, franchisee looking for something. I, I think try to find out what help is, are you going to be getting from from the franchisor. Because, uh, like I indicated before, uh, it, there are franchises out there. Basically, they just want your money. And, you know, they're going to say, you know, okay, here's the brand. Run with it. <laughs> you know, whereas... Uh, if you're getting schooling and you're getting mentoring and uh, getting ideas on, on, on more than just the basics, then I think that's the company you should be reaching out to as opposed to some of the others that are out there. And I think that really brings up a good point with regards to who is running the organization and who owns that franchise. And dig mm. into that and see if it's run by the financial folks or not. Mm-hmm. I would venture <laughs> to say this, and I mean it in a positive way, um, the people that when you have the financial folks that are, are the main driver behind a franchise, you tend to see less support in the field mm-hmm. because they have numbers yes. to hit, and that's what they have to deliver. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a different way of doing business. So uh, I've said uh, I've, I've well, said no, I've said this in the past uh, to uh, a, a current owner of a franchise. Get your focus off the bottom line, because it seems like, it, at least in my case, once I I did that, I began to grow more, and because I was paying more attention to the the rest of the business and not just what was uh, coming in at the bottom. Go ahead. So, Jen, That's great I've, never advice. Heard, I've never heard anyone, any of our guests in the past, uh, make that differentiation. Ooh, you thought Fred something t- today. Um, how can you tell which side is in control? You ask. You ask, and then you also <laughs> ask, you know, who, you need to know who owns that franchise. And what are their goals? Mm-hmm. What are they trying to accomplish? Who's the CEO? What is their background? Are they 100% finance? Do they have franchising experience? 
those are some of the questions that you want to ask to find out who owns it, and your franchise disclosure document will tell you that. So that's why that document is pretty important to understand and read through. So, okay, so that, and you also, under you the also get it through validation okay. by so calling you, franchisees and talking to them. Because every franchisor <clears throat> has the greatest franchise on the planet, and they, they should be behind <clears throat> it and, and, and agree. But you're going to get the truth from franchisees. And so what Jan, I mean, to Janice's point, they may tell you, oh, yeah, I know we do lots of support to all our systems and stuff. Then you go talk to franchisees and say, what, this is the support they're telling me I'm going to get. Did you get that? Did you experience that? How many times do they come out and help you? Um, are you able to pick up the phone and get a hold of somebody? Things like that. So you, you, you both brought in the FDD word, which is also known as the modern cure for insomnia. Um, so I'm going to ask you. What is the when you go when you are dealing with a new franchisor? What's the first part? What part of the FDD or franchise disclosure doc for those who haven't been listening to the show? What's the first part of the FDD that you look at? You know, I would look at it in its entirety. What I recommend that my folks do is kind of skim through it first to see what is included, and then go back and dig in. Um, you especially want to understand the franchise agreement because that's the document that's going to be dictating your relationship between what your expectations are and what the franchisor's expectations are. And that's a really good place to start asking questions is based on the franchise agreement, are the current franchisees seeing what the franchise agreement is dictating? And then from there, you, my you know, fa- my everybody has different things, and you can go look at different things. Go ahead, Stephen. Mm. This, uh, this is Ray. Uh, my favorite part of the uh, FTD is the legals. It seems like you can really, really learn a lot about a company from that. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, um, I mean, what, what Janice brought up was one of the one of the first things. You know, the the item one. So that's twenty three items. That is specifically laid out that the FTC uh, requires that the franchise disclosure document have. And, and what Janice brought up was there's section one, item one and two, I believe, talk about the people that are running the business, who's the business, and then what are the key people on the business. So if you want to piggyback on what Janice said, it was important, you'd want to look at those sections. Um, item three is any kind of lawsuits therein, potential. Um, and you just want to understand if a business has been around for long enough, they probably have a little bit of some sort of lawsuit, and it could be from a competitor, it could be from a franchisee. So you want to understand uh, what that is. And, and for me, it's kind of the fee structure. Uh, less about the startup cost because that's a little more variable. It's like in section in item five or the fees that you're going to be committing to having to pay over a time period and then finding out from franchisees where those fees, are you getting value for those fees? Um, so an example would be back in, in my day when I owned my Shirta Pro, my royalty fee, I felt like I got a lot of value for that because I was getting commercial accounts given to me. I was able to get my paint on 
uh, 40% off retail because I was a CertiPro franchisee. Um, there was corporate buyouts of, of Yelp and Angie's List that they, that they did for us that we didn't have to pay for after that. So it's those types of things that help you. Does that mean that's the end of the show, Fred? Can't hear you. What's your last question, Ray? My, I, I had a question. Uh, are there any franchises out there that have like uh, franchisee advisory consoles to the franchisor? There are, and there's a lot of them. Um, you can also oh, look okay. at Blue Mau Mau. Um, that's also a good place where people talk about what's going on with their franchisor. Um, just be advised, mm-hmm. <laughs> typically negative talk. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of franchise councils out there. Um, if there isn't one, people should probably look at doing one just so they can support each other. Um, you just want to make sure that you don't become adversarial with a franchisor saying, well, we want this, and you know, it, it becomes a power struggle. And that's the last thing that you want. Right, right. So. Yeah, CertiPro had one where we elected individuals to, I think it was a six-member group. It was the CertiPro Franchise Owners uh, Board and or, or Association, and so then they would kind of represent us to the franchisor, have conversations with the franchisor about new initiatives, um, and it kind of communicate back and forth for us. And then mm-hmm. on the lower on the lower level, we also had these uh, in the groups that we got together, um, eight of us, and we got together four times a year to work on business plans and work on, you know, struggles. And we called those flight groups. So they were smaller groups, but that wasn't dealing with the franchisor. That was just to help us grow our businesses. In, in the uh, uh, Chicago area, I'm a member of uh, the Windy City uh, Advertising Cooperative, and uh, I think we have 14 members now. So as far as advertising is concerned, that has helped us tremendously because uh, now we can pull our resources and, 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 and really get good, good bang for our buck, so to speak. Yeah, and... That's another thing I tell clients, why should they look into franchising? It's for that support. It's that ability to pool money together with other like-minded individuals in the same business. It's also the fact that if you're struggling in your business, you have someone to call. You're not going to be able to call your competition down the road and ask them how they got past this hurdle in the business, but you can call a neighboring franchisee or you can call one across the country that you met at the conference last year. So it, it it really is being in business for yourself, but not by yourself, in my experience. <clears throat> Probably some of the best advice I get is uh, going to these conferences. I've been to every single one since I started the business, and uh, I, I'd say some of the best ideas I get are from other owners. And uh, I, I used so many of them, you know, 
and I, I've given advice out to so many people. It, it, it's it, it, to me, it's it's one of the best things about being a, a franchise owner is is going to the conventions. Okay, Ray, wait a second. You said that one of the best things about being a franchise owner is going to conventions, work-life balance, uh, your own job, and, and all that stuff. Yeah, but when you're having fun, that's life balance, right? And I can't understand a word you're saying. I'm guessing what you're saying. <laughs> you're really well, breaking up bad, Fred. We're out of time, Ray. That sounds like a good time to be out of time, Fred. So you want to take us out? And we, we definitely want to thank our guests, both of them. I, I think we've had a wonderful show. I've really enjoyed talking to both of them. And thanks, guys, for being on the show, Janice and Stephanie. Thank you so much. It was a really enjoyable show. Go ahead, Fred. Well, thanks Close for the out. opportunity. <laughs> You're welcome. We're going to have you both back and talk more. This has been Pillars of Franchising. Wait till next Thursday when we've got some great new guests, including the uh, – sorry – uh, including the Green Beret of Hotels, Larry Brown. Oh. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for the Killers of Franchising. Go to the website and listen to past episodes. Broadcasting the secrets of success in franchising so you don't have to screw up the <laughs>